0: Well, good morning, church. Merry Christmas. As the kids are exiting out, if there are those kids that are exiting out, I uh, just want to think about this pause for a moment. I guess this Christmas is two days away. Are you ready? Yeah, some, not so much, right? Uh, for some of you, there's probably some excitement. There's uh, some celebration. Um, but let me ask you this. Once you gather... And once you open the gifts, and maybe you circle up and pray, and or talk and share, what's next? Our family met in Indiana last night. It was a short trip over yesterday afternoon and back last night. And uh, my one brother's—we take turns. My one, my second brother, older than me, was in charge last night, and so he actually put on a little pageant with his grandchildren. And so they had their. Bathrobes on and little coverings, and and it was it was it was very cute. They did a great job. But then we went back to moms, and we had more food, which was really good. But but then what? What happens after December 25th for some of you? Maybe you've got some delayed family get-together, so it's like, now we've got another one on the 27th, and we got another one on this day. And so for some of you, it may be a lingering thing. But 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 then what? After all the holiday food's gone, after you've tried on the new clothes and you've played with the new toys and the gadgets and and you've you've been together and you're sitting at home, like, now what? What's next? Well, I'm going to say this once. I'll probably make it a second or third time through the service, but I'm going to ask you this. Please, do not make Christmas a one-day event. Do not make it a one-day event, a one-moment. I want you to keep Christmas going all year long, and I'll explain how, before I say that, some of you are like, yes, I've been given permission by Pastor Rex to play my Christmas music all year long, and your spouse next to you is like, no, I will agree with your spouse and say, no, that's not what I meant, okay? That's totally up to you on your own time, but that's not what I mean. Um, I, I'll, let me give you another example of how not to celebrate Christmas all year round. Um, this was Halloween. And I was told, uh, this is what I dressed up at Halloween as we hand out kids. I love to have fun with the kids. They're going to come to my place. We're going to work for it. Um, And we handed out tracts and shared the gospel in those tracts with them. But here's the thing. This is not what I mean by dressing or celebrating Christmas year-round. Somebody said, if you dress like that on Christmas when you preach, I will come to your church. I had to let them know I'm not dressing like that on Christmas. But I'll at least let you see the picture. But that's not what I mean either by... Celebrating Christmas all year round either. Here's what I'd love you to do. Grab your Bibles, open it up to the book of Luke chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, we'll bring one to you. Luke chapter 2. Pastor Paul is going to be reading for me, starting in verse 8. And I want to have him pause every now and then. And we're just going to highlight a few things. I want you to see this story. We've been looking at multiple parts of the historical setting of the Christmas story. And this is one we've not hit yet. Paul, would you please read, start in verse 8.
1: That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. They, they, were, they were what? Terrified. One more
0: time, they were what?
1: Terrified.
0: Terrified. <clears throat> so they weren't just like, ooh, looketh, an angel. eketh, Right? Because sometimes that's what we do. We, we get very religious and we, we like, oh, they were probably very proper. And, and, and it's, this is history. This is real stuff. This was a real story. This wasn't made up. If you are a farmer and you're out in your field and a host of angels show up, I don't think you're saying, oh, wow, better call them all. No, I, I'm thinking there's probably some ter- terrifying feelings going on. There's some fear going on. And that's exactly what's going on. They are terrified. Read on, please.
1: They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by the sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Stop right there.
0: Okay, so the angels proclaim this incredible message. The Messiah, the Savior, the one who's come to save the world, which they've been waiting for has arrived. He's coming. He's here. And they're all excited. And there's just a host of angels are singing this. And they leave and the shepherds, what do they do? They look at each other and what do they say? Two words. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. This is, if you're an athlete, you're like, you hear this all the time. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. And if you're a parent, we, we hear too. Let's go. Right. It's a different tone. <laughs> right. Um, but we know those words very well, don't we? But those, those shepherds look at, it, they're probably like, "Let's go, let's go. And then what did it say next? Let's see, let's see. Hey, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see. There was some excitement. Remember what they were? They were what? They were terrified. That terror, that fear has now been replaced with courage and strength, boldness. And they're no longer these insignificant shepherds they're
1: like, oh. they're like, let's go. Let's, let's see what has taken place. Read on, please. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village. Whoa, they fell. what? Hurried. They hurried. Greek translation for that is run
0: as fast as you can. Or maybe something like that. But they hurried. It wasn't a stroll. It wasn't a casual walk. They hurried. Some translations actually read they ran. Can you imagine these shepherds in the middle? Of, can, let's go back to the situation of the farmers. Again, I grew up on a farm, so I'm picturing this as I grew up. Uh, I'm out in the middle of the field. Angels show up. I'm excited. I look at my brothers. Let's go. Let's see. And we hop on our international tractor. We put it in gear. And we start just trucking down the road, heading to Wakarusa, because that's where he was born, right? And we, we're going like five miles per hour, right? So it's like, dude, we can run faster than this, right. So we just leave the tractor. And we run. They hurried. They
1: wanted to see what was going on and what was going on. Read on, please. They went to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen it was just as the angel had told them.
0: So when you look at this story, thank you, Paul. When you look at this story, there's a lot of things to consider here, and I sort of stopped them halfway and sort of pointed some of those out. But the first thing I just look at this, they were common shepherds. Okay, first of all, shepherding is common, sort of insignificant, sort of a a whatever. These are just common shepherds out in their fields. They're they weren't like the, the top four H'ers of, of the county, okay? These were just common shepherds. They were out there minding their own business, and then suddenly they're, they're full of this fear that's overwhelmed from this angelic host. But then again, the angels leave, that fear leaves, and courage arrives, and now they're bold, and, and now they're joyful, and they're also obedient because they went. They just didn't sit there and say, "That was awesome." They went, they hurried. And after seeing Jesus, we we have no how long he was with Jesus. If you read this, it just seems like it was a short visit. It was probably longer. But what the scriptures highlight was what happened prior to the visit with these shepherds. They visited and then they took off, and it says they were telling everybody. They went around, they were telling everybody about what happened. Mary pondered these things in her heart, and it was almost like the announcement was huge. The visit was important. But what we did afterwards was even just as significant as what we did before in the announcement. We need to tell everybody what's going on. Again, that's not saying the visit was insignificant. That was, that was important. But it seems the other things were highlighted. What makes me uh, even more amazed at the story when I look at it is the fact that the king of the world, the long-awaited Messiah... Jesus Christ, Son of God, God in the flesh, the one who's going to save the world, has arrived, and there were no dignitaries. There were no fancy palaces. No parade. No kingdom celebrating. No trumpet blast. Nothing big. It was just shepherds. That was it. Lowly shepherds. Some insignificant shepherds, a group of men who possessed one of the lowliest occupations in that time. Why them? Why not somebody of greater status? Why didn't anybody else get picked? Look at Matthew thirteen fifty four to 56 we put up on the screen. I want you to think about this. Let's remember who the father of Jesus, the earthly father of Jesus was. That was Joseph. He was a carpenter, right? It says he returned to Nazareth, that being Jesus, his hometown. When Jesus taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed. And he said, where does he get his wisdom and the power to do miracles? Uh, then they scoffed. I love this. He's just the carpenter's son. We know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And his sisters live right here among us. But where did he learn these things? Don't you love that? He, he's just a carpenter. Whatever. That's not exactly a compliment for those of you that are not picking up on this, okay? You're just a carpenter. Oh, you're just a custodian. Oh, you're just a mom. Oh, you're just an aide. Oh, you're just an assistant. Oh, you're second string. (laughs) We hear those kind of things all the time, don't we? And even if nobody says them to you, you feel those at times. I'm just doing this job. Oh, I'm just doing that. And we feel insignificant as if it it doesn't matter. it It diminishes what we do and saying there is no value, no importance to it. But here's what we do. We go back further in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Remember the genealogy we talked about two weeks ago? Go back and you find David. Remember King David? Well, before King David, he was a shepherd boy, David. And Samuel went to find that next king and he went to Jesse and grabbed all of his sons and said, I'm supposed to come to you and find the next king. And so could you bring out your sons and let me go through that? Jesse brings out his boys. And you can read about this more if you want First 1 Samuel 16. But he lines them up. And, of course, there's the, there's the oldest. Who's the firstborn in here? Raise your hand. Firstborns. Awesome. You're a little slow on that. I expected a little bit something better from you. Okay, nice. Okay. So the firstborns got their hands up. So here's the firstborn. We expect him to pick the firstborn. Because what? He's perfect. He's always right. Never wrong. Wins every argument. I'm just kidding. Sorry, I've not looked at my son yet, but I just did. Okay. nah, love you, son. You you look back at (laughs) Cabe. Part of the family. But he didn't pick him. He was the firstborn, but he's like, no. All right, let's work our way down the line, and let's find the next one. Oh, well, he probably looked at the middle child, but how many middle, middle child in here? Yeah, okay. You didn't think I was going to mention you, did you? Because you're always forgotten. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Guess what? You kept going on past them too, right? And he got down to, finally, where's David at? Well, David's out doing shepherding work. He's out in the fields. Sam's like, I need to see him. So bring him in. That's who was chosen. The youngest. Who's the youngest in here? Raise your hand proudly. Yeah, we are chosen. Thank you. All right. The babies of the family, right? Yes. Here's the thing. He was chosen and nobody would have ever expected him to be chosen. Right? Think about, think about this. Jesus Christ is coming into the world. The son of God. God in the flesh. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit indwells us. Us. Oh, Jesus came, what? To Mary? Teenage girl? Really? Her? Why her? Why this teenager? Why not a princess somewhere else? No, to Mary. And, and Joseph, a father? And that's Like I said, we can go back to David, where it all started, right? Why was he chosen? Why was Joseph chosen? Why was Mary chosen? Why are we chosen? Why is it that when we fully surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit indwells us? Why? We think we're so insignificant that we have no value, that we... No, I I can't live for Christ. Yes, you can. Because Christ lives in you. You have that value. You have that significance. So just as God chose David, just as God chose Joseph, God chose the shepherds. And just as God chose the shepherds, the amazing thing is as Jesus grows up, he chooses 12 men who are uneducated. They're tax collectors. They're fishermen. Nobody would ever choose them. But Jesus chose those 12 unlikely candidates. To change the world. Think about this. He chooses the insignificant, the common to change the world. He chooses you and I to change the world for him, for his glory. He chooses us to be a light in a dark place. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, you can look it up, it's on the screen as well. It, Jesus said this, you are the light of the world. Now, we have to understand in a month here, we're going to be reading through the book of John where Jesus is called the light of the world. Jesus says here, you are the light of the world, a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. I don't come up here and light my candles and then, all just right, put the lid on it. That's not the purpose. Oh, oh, yep, yeah, too bad. Nobody does that. So as we read this, it's so makes so much sense right instead a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine for all to see so that everyone can praise your heavenly father i love what we're reading here is that christ came into the world into a dark place to bring light and then later in life as he grows up and he starts ministering jesus says you're going to be the light of the world I'm going to shine through you. There's uh, an interesting story that took place uh, just a few months ago. You remember the uh, campfire in Northern California. This is a picture of uh, paradise that was that was wiped out. Many structures from the states, uh, when they look around, what happened at this was pretty amazing. I'm going to read some statistics here. This fire killed nearly three times as many people as the Griffith Park fire, which was a record that stood for 85 years in the state of California. At one point, it was reported that 13,503 residences, 514 businesses, and 4,404 barns, sheds, and other buildings had burned in the blaze. And as you know, the town of Paradise was incinerated in, in less than a day, and residents there... Uh, they just fleed in panic, gathering what they could grab and, and leaving home. Um, they left a lot behind and a lot got burned up. And there was a story I read about Paradise uh, Adventist uh, Academy volleyball team. Uh, this, this volleyball team there in Paradise was set to play in the semifinals against another school, the Forest Lake Christian High School. And just days after the fire leveled the town of Paradise the Forest Lake Christian High School Academy um, met up with the team from Paradise. And as you can imagine how hard it is for athletes to play or to compete when they got stuff going on in their mind, but can you imagine your whole team? They, They lost their town. They actually didn't have volleyball uniforms. Those all got burned up as well. But the Forest Lake team decided to show the world how in times of defeat and pain, you can still be victorious. The Forest Lake... Uh, team asked the California Interscholastic Foundation, which this is a huge thing. Basically us in Ohio going to the OHSA, saying, hey, all entrance fees to this semifinals tournament game, we would like to know if all the funding for this can go to the Paradise team and help them out and into that community. And, And they approved the request. But here's the thing, that community from Forest Lake Christian School, they did more. When they arrived to play on November 10th, each player from Paradise was given a new uniform, new knee pads, and socks. And additionally, there's a room full of goodies for all the families which had uh, clothes and toiletries, food. Uh, The school raised over $16,000 for that community, for those people. Um, Dinner was served to the fire victims after the volleyball match that night. They played each other. Forest Lake ended up winning uh, not that that really even matters, um, but it was very inspirational what happened after the game. But it's, it's really gut-wrenching to see something like that because that's what we're supposed to do, Christians. I, I don't know if you noticed who the Paradise Volleyball team, they were the Adventist Academy. And the Lakeview Christian didn't look at them and say, well, you're Adventist, so we're not going to reach out to you. They didn't care They threw that to side. We're going to love you as you are. We show grace and mercy. And and they said, that's what, that's what believers do. We shine. We shine. And you know, some of us might like, well, that's a little bit far away. I mean, that's the other side of the United States. I mean, is there anything else going on? I like, oh yeah, I've got some stories for you. Um, it was a few weeks ago that I was, I uh, had the privilege of what I do with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, going in and speaking with different huddles and groups and schools. And I was in visiting one huddle and was sharing them and giving them a challenge and got done and found out later that day that some of those kids were, were I, I believe, inspired by God. They just, they just They knew that they needed to do something uh, with their faith, and they did. So at their next basketball game, um, and I asked permission to share this, um, Eli Delgado decided to step up and lead his team in prayer after the game. But it wasn't just H- Wasian's team, it was the opposing team as well as all the cheerleaders. And they circled up, and and he prayed. Well, the incredible thing was, is well, they weren't done. Because, see, the next night they had another game. And after that game, well, then Eli looked over at um, Carly Shadbolt and said, you want to pray, one of our cheerleaders? And she's like, sure. And I don't know the full story. Eli could probably tell it better than me, but I heard that when she got done, she looked up and said, can I get an amen? And uh, she got one. Um, But then a couple days later, they're circled up again, and Eli's still over there going, "Okay, let's. Who else can we get involved? How about Jillian Colon? Little quiet Jillian, right?" And next thing you know, she's leading the prayer. Oh, we're not done. So I go over to Delta Middle School and I'm talking to uh, Nate Rupel's seventh and eighth grade basketball team. I said, "Oh, by the way, you guys are playing Wasion next week, right?" "Yep." I said, "They're going to come over here and they're probably going to pray with you after the game." I'm just sharing that with you and talked to him a little bit. Left it at that. Well, next week, they gathered after the game. And Eli looked over at James Rupel from Delta and said, Hey, James, you want to pray? James led the prayer. Now, what Eli may not know and what many of us don't know is that James and the Delta basketball team went over to Brian and played. And after the Brian game, Delta circled up with Brian and James led another prayer. Do you see how this works, Church? You light one candle, and other candles get lit, and more candles get lit, and it continues to shine for Jesus Christ. I'm very thankful for the youth in our church who are leading the way, and it's not just them, and it's not just now. It's been going on. Even this past fall, Abby Freeman and Brooklyn and Braylon Weimer and Reagan, uh, they're usually in a first service. Uh, the Delta Girls basketball team and volleyball teams, they're always doing this. And there's others that are doing this as well. But as I said in that one instance, what I saw, what started with Eli was I saw one student light a candle and I saw that student go to another student and they lit a candle and they lit a candle and their light is shining for Jesus right now. And it doesn't stop there. I have saw one family recently has been affected by cancer. Some of you know of a young 7th grade girl, Allie Herman from Fayette, who is diagnosed with, with cancer, and it has spread some, and she's doing chemo right now, and she's fighting it, um, but she's not alone. It's a dark time for her, but she's not alone. Because see, one family said, let's do something. And so that one family decided to shine for Jesus Christ. And they reached out to that community of Fayette. But it wasn't just that community. There was another community in Hilltop who their FCA huddle raised over $1,000. And when Fayette went over to play basketball, right before the game, they presented to the head coach a check for over over $1,000 for Allie. More communities are lighting their candles. This is how it works, church. I received a message the other night uh, that came in and said, Hey, I wore my True North Love God Love Others t-shirt today. Two different people came up to me. and, and to- Two totally different stories. One woman said this. She cried, she hugged me, and she said that her family is no longer coming together at Christmas, and her heart is broken. She told me that this shirt reminded her that the world still has loving people, and that good always overcomes evil. She said her heart was dancing, After reading it, she hugged me and my daughter and thanked us for changing her whole holiday. Church, I told you last week, I'll tell you again, faith always demands a response. Christmas is not our birthday. It's the birth of Jesus Christ. It's not our birthday in which we get gifts, okay? Jesus gets the gift, right? But the amazing thing is that he gave us the ultimate gift, eternal life. It's not about what we get or give. It's about what we've received from God. And for that, we should sing. For that, we should share. For that, we should tell others. For that, we should be letting our light shine and let other people grab hold of that light and see it and light up the dark places. The shepherds, they were fearful. The angels reassured them and they ran, and they went to see Jesus. They saw Jesus, and they left Jesus celebrating and telling other people. So it should be with us, with this Christmas. Celebrate it year-round. Let your light shine, wherever you're at, work. Out having fun, recreation, whatever it may be, shine for Jesus, wherever you're at. It doesn't have to be Sunday morning or Wednesday night alone. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And I'm going to ask you to grab your candles. And as you grab your candles, I'm going to ask you to listen carefully to these instructions. We've never done a candle lighting service before, or especially inside a building with cloth chairs and carpet. <clears throat> So as we light our candles, I just want to give you some instruction on how we light our candles and how to hold them and how to blow them out. So when I'm going to have some people, they're going to come up here and they're going to come up in a little bit and they're going to light their candles and they're going to take their unlit candle and catch it on fire. And they'll go to the next person and that person will take their unlit candle and do the same. If you have a lit candle, please do not tilt it because that's when the wax goes. And as you're singing just pay attention because some of us could really get into singing we're like, ah. And, and ah is what happens as the wax goes onto the floor and the seat. When we are finished, oh, I'm sorry, could you have the stage light up just for one more thing, please? One more thing and then when we blow out our candles, we're going to sing two songs at the end of the second song. When we blow out the candles, if you could, take your hand, put it behind here as you blow it out. Because if you blow it like this, you'll have wax on the person in front of you or on the chair. Um, And as one of our elders suggested doing this, I suggest not. Um, That would be Dennis the Menace. So just take your hand, cover it, and blow it out. And then you can take the candles home with you or you can put them in a basket when you leave. It doesn't matter. But as we conclude, I just want you to get the picture of the one light that came into the world over 2,000 years ago when it was a dark time and people were hurting in their sin and and wondering, is a Savior going to come? The Savior did come. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have eternal life. That is God's gift to us. His Son, Jesus Christ, who came into a dark place. And some of us right now, in our own hearts, may feel like we're in a dark place. Maybe because of sin that we're struggling with, or pain that we're dealing with, an unresolved argument. A relationship gone bad. A habit that you can't kick. And it's just like, you're just feeling overwhelmed. And in that darkness, Jesus says, I want to light that up. Pray to me, he says. Right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right where you're at, right now. If you are spiritually in a dark place. Know the truth that God loves you right where you're at. You don't think you're worthy? None of us are worthy. I'm not worthy. Billy Graham was not worthy. You go ahead, you pick the most perfect person you can think of other, they are not worthy. So God sent his son to save us, to save me, to save you. So if you need to pray right now, pray. Ask God to forgive you. Ask him to cast out your sin and to enter and to be born in you today. Ask for his Holy Spirit to come into your life, to indwell you, to encourage you, to shine. Because every day you wake up, it's dark. But Christ shines in you. Take that light into your workplace, into your school, into your world. Shine for him.